another Afropop close-up. Between 1967 and 1970, Nigeria experienced a brutal civil war. Factions in the south and east of the country sought to form a separate nation called Biafra. The effort failed, but the aftermath of this terrible war still echoes today. Today's episode, Biafra at 50, A Wound That Doesn't Heal, hosted by producer Benning Air in Port Harcourt, Nigeria. 50 years after the end of the Nigerian Civil War, a group of protesters gathered in Port Harcourt on the Niger Delta. They weren't there to commemorate the three million people who died between 1967 and 1970 in a failed attempt to create a separate nation called Biafra with a majority Igbo population, nor were they there to add their voices to the chorus of Nigerian officials calling for measured reflection on this sad history. No, this rally was aimed at reinvigorating the fight for a separate Biafran state and specifically, it was to celebrate the election of a man these activists see as a potential ally, Donald Trump. I am Ibegib Tamarachi by name. I'm an activist and uh, I write for Biafra Herod. I actually hail from Imo State, precisely, from Biafra land. About a month after this pro-Trump rally, I met Amarachi at the studios of Chikoko Radio on the impoverished Okrika waterfront of Port Harcourt. I'd heard about the rally and was trying to understand why passions about Biafra were stirring anew all these years later. Amarachi traced the history back to a protest in 1939 under British rule. For her, the late 60s war was simply the most violent phase of a larger, longer-running struggle, a struggle that continues today. Biafra means a lot in 2017 because it is our originality. Before the amalgamation of Nigeria, there been Biafra. Nigeria was amalgamated in 1914, and there was actually the indigenous people occupying that land. The creator of Nigeria is a British man by name Lugat, Frederick Lugat precisely, and he said that after 100 years, his creation, which is Nigeria, is going to get expired. Nigeria as a country expired in the year 2014. And whatever consequences that comes out of an expired entity is actually going to be disastrous. So Biafra is their originality. As you can hear, Amarachi is angry. The organization she belongs to, the indigenous people of Biafra, has been the target of severe repression by Nigerian government forces in recent years, including beatings and killings. The marginalization has been there, the killings, the sufferings of the masses, the impoverishment has been there. So people are agitating. It is just their natural inbuilt reaction. So it has been there before now. But the indigenous people of Biafra, under the leadership of citizen Namdi Kanu, who is actually detained, ignited the flames of the agitation from 2009 up until today. Namdi Kanu was born in 1967, the year the Biafra War began. In 2009, he started leading protests for Biafran independence in London. His activism led to his 2015 arrest and detention. Ultimately, Kanu's most powerful weapon has been radio. Radio Biafra is broadcast from London, 
but heard widely over the internet. He decided to start operating Radio Biafra from London and started sensitizing the people, telling them, this is exactly your originality, you are Biafrans, you're not Nigeria. People started saying, wow, indeed I'm a Biafra. Wow, indeed we are marginalized. Okay, how do we get this nation restored? How do we get our lost glory restored? Through the Radio Biafra, which actually sensitized the people so much. Earlier this year, Kanu was granted a conditional release on bail. So he's free for the moment, but barred from speaking out. Just the same, he gave an interview to Al Jazeera in which he confessed to a pathological hatred for Nigeria. Amarachi shares that hatred and focuses it specifically on Nigeria's Muslim North, its current president Buhari, a northerner, and renegade Fulani herdsmen, some from neighboring Chad. Amarachi says these herdsmen are mercenaries bent on terror. In 1996, Gideon Akaluka was killed. He's a journalist. He was killed. He was beheaded in the north. And his head was paraded in the streets. And the Fulani herdsmen too. They decided to leave the northern parts of the country, come down to the east. They invade the villages of Biafrans, kill the people, they behead them, they rape the women, they destroy their farmlands and keep them hungry with impunity. This is an order. Go and terrorize these people. Now, after the killings, we declared what we call Black Sunday, 30th day of August, 2015. Just a few months after that August 2015 protest, Namdi Kanu was arrested. From there, the conflict between the indigenous people of Biafra and the Nigerian government escalated. Immediately after the detention of the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra, Biafrans also went to the street to protest unarmed. They got killed as well. There was also another killing in Aba High School on the 9th of February 2016. In a school where people were just singing and chanting Biafra Freedom songs, they went there and they opened fire. The military, like you shoot at sight. And when you ask them, they tell you, we got an order from Abuja that we should shoot at these people. Who is this order coming from? It is coming from the Nigerian government, presided by the president of Nigeria, President Muhammad Buhari. Yes, he's the one ordering for the killing of the people. And Amarachi goes further essentially equating the terrorist Boko Haram fighters with the Nigerian army that's charged with defeating them. Even most of the military men, the Nigerian soldiers, are Boko Haram members, trained to kill innocent people. That is why they deploy them over to this place. The Fulani headsmen we're talking about are well-armed. If you see them along the road, you see them with arms. They invade the villages and kill people because they feel they want to rule, they feel they own the land. So do they take over these villages after they burn? Yeah, they do, because the people get scared and leave there. The people get scared and leave. Amarachi cited a lengthy list of incidents in which demonstrators and innocent civilians were shot at, maimed with acid, abducted, beheaded, in schools and public squares, even in a church. And all this simply for advocating the idea of Biafra. Despite official efforts to keep such incidents out of the news, there is documentation of violence, including at the rally supporting the inauguration of Donald Trump. Amarachi and I discussed this. Look 
at the recent killings on the 20th day of January, following the Donald Trump um, mega rally. I read about this. You yes. read Tell about it. About okay. It. Give us a little background on that. Why is it that the African people perceive Donald Trump as someone who might help them? We do not perceive uh, Donald Trump as somebody who might help us. We all have the rights to show solidarity to whomever we think we love. Donald Trump is an upright man. He's a leader who comes out to say, oh, this thing is wrong. We know that he's one man who does not support anything um, Islamization of a particular people, which we, we share same belief. So yeah. it's about Islam. Yeah, it's about Islamization. He does not he does not accept that. He does not go with that. And we don't. Because we know the consequences of living with these people. Beheading people in broad delight, raping women, you know. I actually followed up the protest from the convergence center down to Rumola where the shooting started. I covered everything. I was there live and direct. Now, the most interesting part of it is this. On that same day, being the 20th day of January, there was an anti-Donald Trump protest which took place in Lagos. No shooting was recorded. No molestation, no brutalization was recorded. No abduction or an arrest was recorded. But I'm telling you that the solidarity rally for Donald Trump, we have a record of about 60 arrests. 60? Yes, 60 of them. And how many people were killed in that event? Oh, God. After the, the, we, started, we got the, some of the corpses, and some of them died in the hospital, we also saw some of our members in drainage systems. We saw some of them along the roadside. So we really don't know how many people died that day. Over 17. Over 17? Yeah. By knowing in the community, you know that at least that many. Yeah. I have a whole lot of uh, pictures right here following the killings, you can see. On the 20th day of January, you can see. Independent news reports cited 11 deaths, but the exact number will probably never be known. The pictures Amarachi shows me are graphic. A badly wounded man lying in a hospital gurney, then the same man later dead in a morgue. She had hospital invoices and other evidence. Still, I wondered about the Biafra movement's willingness to overlook Donald Trump's alliances with racists and even direct threats to deport Nigerians from the U.S. en masse. Later, I spoke with historian Mark Levine, and he put things in a different context. The government did nothing to stop the anti-Trump protests in Lagos, but they shot and killed many people. It's hard to know for sure how many in the pro-Trump protests. But I think the issue is not that it was for or against Trump. It was just the offerings coming together to protest collectively. That is automatically an existential threat to the Nigerian government. If it had been reversed, it would have been the same thing. The issue was not Trump because the Nigerian government has in many ways a similar interest to the Biafrans to support Trump because of his willingness to go to war against Boko Haram. It's just any assertion of a, a single voice by Biafrans is never going to be tolerated by the Nigerian government. No surprise, one tool the Biafra movement favors is music. Music, I must say, sends out a very fast message to people. It gets the gospel of the restoration of Biafra very fast. In Biafra struggle, we have a lot of musicians play the songs on Radio Biafra. We invite them to various uh, gatherings, you know. But according to the Nigerian government, the Biafrans does not even have the right to do music. 
they go as far as arresting up people. Now, what they do is, they go to your phone, you just see the Biafra flag or anything related to Biafra struggle, they get you arrested, they pick you up. Music has great power to change the world. That is why God loves music. The only thing he loves is music. That's why in Revelation 4.11, when the 24 elders, before they bow down, you will see the four living creatures singing, holy, holy, holy. The sing. My name is Prince Lord Sin, and uh, I write a kind of pop songs, freedom songs, and um, any kind of songs that touches somebody out there. I am not just like an entertainer. I'm a minister. My music has messages to the world. I just don't sing. I sing for a reason. I understand that sometimes the voice of those who cry for freedom can only be heard through music. And since I cannot be a preacher, I decided to be a singer. Prince Lordson accompanied Amarachi to our meeting at Chicago Radio. He's the CEO of Rising Sun Records and a singer himself. Rising Suns, both with a U and an O, are ubiquitous images of the Biafran cause and in Prince Lordson's music. The rising sun records. White folks that understand what freedom is all about should look into our plight and do something. We are not dangerous people, we are peaceful people. If we try to pick up arms, they will tag us terrorists. And we are not ready to do that. If you look at the Biafran war, we never took the war to them, they brought it to us. And all we have to do was to defend ourselves. Prince Lordson presents a softer, less angry, more revelatory face of the Biafran struggle. But his underlying message is no less uncompromising. He told me about one of his songs, Help Raise the Flag. Help Raise the Flag was about the genocide that was carried on Biafrans. How Fulanese and uh, Yoruba and the Britain, they conspired to carry out mayhem on us, on God's people. And their intention was to wipe us out within three days. To their own surprise, it lasted almost three years. They starved our women, our men, our children, they killed us. They used five nations against us in order to wipe us out. They needed our land, but they never needed us. Prince Lordson still produces music and has other artists on his label, but he can't distribute his work in Nigeria. I have CDs at home, but I've not distributed any. I had to actually forward all these tracks to Radio Biafra London, and um, the deputy leader, he plays them, all the tracks, he plays them in Radio Biafra. He asked me if I would like to be paid, and I actually declined because the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra had to give up everything he had, money, his life, his freedom, without demanding anything in return. So who am I? So to me, for now, I'm just like a farmer 
who is sowing the seed, I got to nurture it, take care of it until the day of harvest. The medias we have here are all medias of um, Hausa Fulanis and Yorubas. They are the ones managing all the medias here. Why is there no Igbo media here? That is just the marginalizations we are talking about. Just like there is no international airport here, no international seaport here, there is no embassy here, nothing is working here. This place is totally dilapidated. The richest nation, yet the most poorest nation. We are looking for hope. We are looking for redemption. Even God of heaven, he loves freedom. That was why he kicked the devil out of heaven in the first place. Just like Nelson Mandela has to rise up. Just like Mahatma Gandhi. The religious contours of the Biafran struggle, Christian versus Muslim, are quite clear. Less clear are the ethnic contours. The Nigerian civil war was triggered by violence directed at Igbo people from eastern Nigeria. And Igbos led the fight for independence. But the territory in question is also home to a number of other groups. This tends to go unmentioned in today's pro-Biafra rhetoric. We are seeking for total restoration of our originality, total restoration of our motherland, total restoration of Biafra as a separate country. We are not seceding. I would not use that word secede. You only secede from a country that you've been part of. We don't share the same culture, we don't share the same religion, we are different. Most of us are Christians, some of us are traditionalists, but we, we, don't, we don't practice Islam in Biafra land. We do not practice Islam. Islam to us is totally strange and foreign, it's alien to us. Lugat stated, I'm just quoting him, he said that the north and the south are like oil and water that cannot be mixed together. As I spoke with Amarachi in Prince Lordson, a young musician from Port Harcourt, Howells G, was sitting and listening. Now, Howells is not an Igbo, and he's too young to remember the war, but he too lives with its legacy. Howells belongs to one of the non-Igbo ethnic groups of the Niger Delta, the Riverine people of the so-called South-South. When we were alone, I asked Howells what he thought of what he'd heard. Well, my grandfather would say, when two people are disagreeing, if you meet Mr. A and he tells you a story, you will feel like taking a machete to strike Mr. B. But first, see Mr. B before you carry a machete. And you feel the same way of taking that machete back to strike Mr. A. So everybody tells the story to suit his own. Until animals begin to write their book, the hunters will be greatest. Because you always read the book of the hunters. You've not read the book of the animals. You see the Biafran issue. For me, I'm not against Biafra. It's okay, the Biafrans, they are fighting for freedom, but there are some little miss up. Let me take you a little back, a little I've known. My father told me, many of the houses in Portacourt were owned by the Biafrans, the Igbo men. At that time, even though the Biafrans are fighting for sovereignty, they are already enslaving others. That is part of why they lost the Nigerian Biafran civil war. Because these other Satanas are slave to them. All this land, they take the land from our people. They pushed the riverine people to the river, to the sea, and took our land before and during the war. Another thing that is missing is the Biafran map. There are a lot of people are involved that are not in the Biafran philosophy or struggle. River State is in their map. But is River State in their struggle? No. In River State, if you move a little, you get into another language. 
you move a little, you find another language. We all came from other parts of the country. Me, I'm from Okrika, but we actually migrated from a part of Bayasa. And so even in our talking drum, if you listen well in the talking drum, you hear something of other tribe. Because when the forefathers came down, they came down with that language and culture. River State is in the Biafra map, but the average reverse man is not in the Biafra struggle. All the people that are shooting, they are not reverse people. We are talking about Niger Delta struggle for crying out loud. So where is the Niger Delta struggle? Is it synchronized with the Biafra struggle? No, it's not synchronized. So the Biafra struggle is somehow distorted. And if you see the name Biafra, you know where it comes from? The bite of Biafra, close to the Atlantic Ocean, around the Bonny River. And then the Igbos are they close to that river? The Igbo are there in the east now. So they should leave the name Biafra and look for another name. The Nigerian Biafran war would have been won by the Biafrans. But at a point, they started losing support because uh, even now that you gain sovereignty, we are suffering. Oh, instead, let the Northern rule. That was how they lost out. So House believes the Biafran cause was lost because its Igbo commanders failed to win the loyalty of the Riverine people and probably others. That's a common opinion in River State, but not the only one. Early in the war, Nigeria granted statehood to River State, a classic divide and rule tactic. If we have our state already, why do we need Biafra? But everyone we've heard from so far was too young to remember the war. Those who lived through its horrors have a different perspective. Tony O'Dealy is the last surviving member of highlife legend Rex Lawson's band. Radio Biafra plays a lot of Rex Lawson's music, but Tony has no interest in hearing about Biafra anymore. We should not go back to the past. Today, I'm hearing some boys, hey, Biafra, Biafra. May Christ forgive them. They should go back and ask their living grandfathers. Those who saw the war will never pray for the war to come back. Let us pray for peace. Let us come back and unite. Fabara Tokobie Samuel is a community organizer in Port Harcourt, and he too lived through the Biafra War. Fube, as he's known, resists any simple explanation of this war. As he sees it, there was fault on all sides. When the feather took take over, did we not also kill their people, the Igbos? Did we not loot their properties? So if we only talk of what they do to us before the federal government crush them, then they too will be talking of things that we do to them. I am from Okrika. We did not support the Hebrews, the Biafrans at all. Now the Biafrans are there saying, join us. So all this comes with a divide and rule tactics of the federal government. Today, people are being killed. And you see some group of persons will be clapping, saying, good, 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 this is good, it's good. Because they were protesting, they were agitating. So it's killing them, the solution. Why can't we sit and address these issues to see if the things they are complaining of are they right? Why can't we sit? Create a platform where we say, look, they are humans. Let's not just say, okay, they can't go. No, no, no. If people say they want to go, the best way, we put on a referendum to see if actually 
they wanted to go. If you want to make people to be part of you, you don't just say it by the maps. You make them feel part of that project. Guns cannot stop them at this time because the people don't feel part of the project called Nigeria. They don't feel it. The level we are now, it is almost at the point of no return because lives has been lost. It is becoming very dangerous. In a very short time, the peaceful protests and demonstrations will turn to an armed struggle. So, so if we allow it to get to that point, nobody will benefit it. So the best is they are so oppressed when they come out of the streets, tell people their problems, support their protests. When you support them, okay, fine, you, you have a point. So how do we move forward? Fube told me that if there was a referendum in just the eastern and southern regions of Nigeria, he believes the separatist side would win. To be very fair to you, their friends will have their state. They will win, clearly. Because if we win the referendum, then we need to agree where will be our territories. Then if we're going for it, every other thing can be discussed. The way we will manage will be discussed. I, I think they will win comfortably. They would win, but not to reclaim an ancient homeland as Amarachi has it, rather to escape the neglect and marginalization inflicted by the Nigerian state. That's the every other thing Fube references. Of course, as Mark Levine points out, such a referendum will never happen. Well, it will never happen, of course, because the vast majority of Nigeria's oil is in the Niger Delta. And to pull that out of the country's GDP would be a blow to the GDP that it would be almost impossible to replace. As many people have told us, the country was created for oil and to make sure that no one group in Nigeria could attain enough power to then remove control or at least the immense profits that foreign companies could derive from the oil sector. So no one would let Biafra go because that would take the most important source of revenue from the country. It's just a simple thing. Look, who controls their oil wells? Who controls the national resources? Are they the Igbos? No. Are they part of the people that the oil comes out from your backyard? No. So the idea will be, let us stay with these people that are not already benefiting. The way I see the problem, the Igbos, they were painted in a very bad manner. The central government do a lot of publicity to paint them bad to all their closest neighbors, which is the people of the South South. But now people are, are finding out who owns this property? Who, is, who owns this? Who owns this? Who are the real problems of Nigeria? Are they the Igbos? No. If they actually tried to articulate a political movement again towards independence, they would be met with massive repression. And I think most of the world would agree to that. I don't think there would be any support at all for them. I think Sudan and what's happened to South Sudan since its independence is a cautionary tale. No one wants another South Sudan. South Sudan, the world's youngest nation, is now immersed in horrific ethnic violence just six years after winning independence. And yet, activists like Prince Lordson and Amarachi see no solution other than complete separation. Now, there is a discrepancy between us and the Awasafulanese. Lord Lugard said we are like oil and water, but as a musician, I think we are like heaven and hell. 
Luke chapter 16 from verse 19 to 31. That was what the father Abraham was telling the rich man. There is a discrepancy between us and you. We are not the same. We are not the same. And God made us to be so. After we spoke, Amarachi got on her cell phone and showed me a graphic video of villagers being beheaded and shoved into a mass grave. You get excited about it. These, these are what happens every day. They conceal this from the outside world so that they will not know the truth. This is happening here in Nigeria, the sea. This one is in Nigeria. And the people that they are, that they are killing are Christians. As you can see them with the Islamic language. And there's military people there. Yeah. It's the Boko Haram she just pointed earlier. That was recruited into the Nigerian military. The Boko Haram and the Nigerian military are just same thing. It's the same people. Wow. Corruption within the Nigerian military is well documented, and that certainly benefits Boko Haram. But the idea that they're one and the same is far from proven. Still, with images and emotions like this circulating and pro-Biafra activism on the rise, it's hard to see the peaceful solution that Fube, Antonio Dili, and so many others dream of anytime soon. I asked Fube, what happens now? What happens is continue killing. Simple. You continue to kill. One clear sign of hope for the troubled Niger Delta is the work going on at Chikoko Radio, where most of these interviews took place with help from Michael Wemadimo and Anna Bonaldo. Most of the music beds we heard were produced by Chikoko artists Abby D and Howells G. To find out more about Chikoko, visit chikoko.fm. This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. But to keep this series going, we need your support. Visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Banning Air. <laughs>